Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am so excited to welcome back Cheryl Crow. If you are a longtime listener, Cheryl was one of our first guests when we launched the podcast originally as Success with Shogrins. And we've had a couple reinventions over time as these discussions have evolved and grown and changed. It was time to have Cheryl back because we're doing this series, Allergy Immunology 101. And we're talking about those conversations that we have in the exam room with our physicians and some of the questions and problems and things that come up. And Cheryl is a wealth of information. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Cheryl, to, so to all of our, especially our new listeners who maybe aren't familiar with who you are, what you do, and the awesome human you are. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be back. So I am an occupational therapist and I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for almost 20 years and I'm 41. So it's basically, I'm hitting the halfway point, right? Living half my life without rheumatoid arthritis and the other half with it. I became an occupational therapist because I was really intrigued by the field. If you don't know, I always like to take a minute to define it because it's, yeah, it is really as if I like to say it's if a psychologist and a physical therapist had a baby, it would be an occupational therapist. But if I had to rename it, I would say we're really life skills therapists. Like the most important question to me, if I'm talking to somebody who's, let's say, newly diagnosed with an autoimmune disease is walk me through a day in your life and know, and tell me what's going well and where are you encountering problems? No problem is too big or too small, right? It could be everything from, I have a hard time putting my hair in a ponytail because of hand stiffness. That's like a minute problem, but there's so many possible ways we could help solve that or work around that. And there's a bigger kind of problems. Like I don't have enough support. I have a small child. So we look at the contextual environmental factors and also the minutia. So I really enjoy that because I like switching my mindset from like the tiny to the big. So if I would just say, if nothing else, if you're struggling with daily activities, a lot of people don't know that there's this entire field where literally you can practice things like I have someone in my room to thrive support group who I encouraged her to see if an occupational therapist could help her. She's an artist and the occupational therapist literally helped her modify each one of her implements, like her paintbrushes, everything modified them so that they worked with her hand paint. You could work on turning pages of a book to read to your child. There's these daily life activities that they seem so simple, but they're actually complex. Long story short, that's my background, but then I developed a business called arthritis life. I'm laughing at myself because it's, I never thought I would do that, but it's very similar to Kara in terms of seeing a lot of problems with the traditional healthcare system and wanting to find innovative ways to provide really heartfelt and education and support to patients, this population that just does not get a lot of support. I do a support program and course called Room to Thrive, and I have the Arthritis Life podcast, and I do lots of social media videos and education. I'm all about patient education and empowerment. Match made in heaven to be talking to Dr. Wada today. (laughs) Oh gosh. And I think we have similar taste in music too, when it comes to Taylor Swift and some of these other just like upbeat yeah. Fun girl song. power. Like Britney, my yeah. first concert was Britney Spears <laughs> and TLC. I saw TLC live. Yeah. Oh my gosh. TLC and boys to men. <laughs> so fun. 
I'm just like imagining what that would have been like. It was amazing. I wanted so badly to see new kids on the block. Oh man. There was no way that was happening though. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh no. I know. I got lucky. I saw Britney Spears when I was in college. I think actually Boys to Men and TLC was before that actually in high school. Anyway. When you talk with folks in the RA community, we're actually having a sunny day here in Columbus. So I'm having to block out some of the sun here periodically. But this is rare, usually from October to April, it's the season of gray. Same. And same. Um, but when you're talking with folks who are newly diagnosed or thinking back to when you were newly diagnosed, of what you bring to the table are those things that are missing from the exam room. That 20 minute quick visit you have with the rheumatologist who says, okay, it looks like you have RA, let's start you on methotrexate or this, that, or the other thing. And I'll see you back in three to six months. Yeah. And I think that I always acknowledge in my personal journey, I was in the first six years, one of those success stories where I went on methotrexate and then they very quickly added Enbrel just because of how aggressive my presentation was at the time. I didn't have to do any insurance rigmarole. This was 2003. So it was a different era. I went immediately into like complete medicated remission. I felt amazing. I was playing soccer and swing dancing. And honestly, I didn't have to modify my daily activities. That's like category A. Some people get that experience, but very many people are in that gray zone of their methotrexate or their medications partially work for their disease activity, symptom control, but don't work a hundred percent. They have issues just again, functioning in daily life, understanding how to cope with the uncertainties about how this disease is going to affect them in the future. Being diagnosed as a 21 year old, I always wanted to be a mom, my career path. I wanted to either be like a teacher or I worked in a nonprofit and literally traveled the world. It was like an international education nonprofit. Even though my disease was well controlled, I didn't have a lot of questions about my daily activities, like physically, because I was doing well with that. But I also knew that I was on immunosuppressants, knew I'm on methotrexate, and I still had a lot of questions about my future. Am I going to be able to have children? All that. I think there's such a need for additional education and support. And that's why I formed my program as well as the upcoming arthritis life hack extravaganza, which you are one of the esteemed speakers at, but that's also a chance to come together and figure out from again, the minute stance of like little joint protection strategies and quote unquote, traditional life hacks, but also the bigger lifestyle factors that can help. You mentioned inflammation, (laughs) you'll help control inflammation and support your well-being long into the future. All the basics, exercise, nutrition. And the one I'm most excited about personally is like coping tools, stress management, because I've also struggled a lot with anxiety and anxiety specifically about my health. And so learning the tools for that. I know you're getting, you're like, God is smiling upon you right now. because you're Right. I have my journal up here, like trying to I may actually have to invest in a little bit of a shade or something for this. That's room. what I have to do too with my angle <sighs> of my one window. <laughs> oh, wow. The YouTubers are just going to get a little extra sunshine. Yeah. I think the other part of two of what I hear frustration now, you mentioned kind of things being in a different place back in 2003 when you were diagnosed, but the healthcare system has evolved. I would have to say in some ways for the better, right? We have like one of the bright sides of the pandemic is increased access to virtual care, but also there Mm -hmm. are a whole lot of other 
barriers in silos that come into play too. Yeah. I think really, and as an occupational therapist, and it's like the amount of time that providers have, whether it's a doctor or nurse for a collaboration is so much less. Everyone's time is strapped. Mm -hmm. The payers like insurance companies are trying to squeeze every penny out of people. And it was interesting. I was just reading an article in the rheumatologist magazine, which I get as a, as an allied health provider, as part of their association, it was this rheumatologist who was retiring. And so he's been in the field for like 50 years and was talking yeah. about the times and when he, in the beginning of his career, when he'd go into his office and call the primary care doctor and have a 30 minute conversation about a patient. That's what people who go into healthcare, they want to be able to do. You want to be able to <laughs> yeah. deep, but you don't have yeah. the systemic support to do that. Like mm -hmm. in the healthcare systems anymore. Yeah. I think that I'm excited about all the different, I don't know if it's entrepreneurs or the right way to put it. A lot of people are trying to get, look, we understand that the healthcare system is this giant beast and maybe we can't fix the system right now, but what can we do to creatively address the needs that patients have, whether it's through an app, coaching program, life coaching, health coaching, like online support group, like I have. So I just went into a hundred directions, but. Oh, yeah. that's, and that's what I'm so excited to talk about. I essentially, I didn't tell you this, but I essentially reworked my Ted talk a little bit the shenanigans and drama with that we'll share another day, but into this presentation that is going to be at the event, how to get the most out of your visit with your doctor, knowing that time and bandwidth is limited. How can you make the most of it? How can you go in knowing your story, being prepared and taking back the sense of control and ownership, yes. knowing that the power balance between patient physician has not traditionally been in the favor of the patient and especially marginalized patients. Mm. Right. Yeah. I love that 30,000 foot view. It's hard. You do feel this. I feel this kind of stress around appointments sometimes. Cause I'm like, okay, oh. this is so crucial for me. It's like a first date on steroids, sometimes literally depending on your disease. I like, for example, I love my rheumatologist. And since she's known me, she was like my second rheumatologist. Cause I was in New York initially, but she's been with me for 18 years. Yeah. It's so rare. The first thing she always asks, Oh, do you have any pictures of Charlie? Oh, my son. And it's rare nowadays. That is still important to me psychologically to connect to her as a human being at the beginning. But then we're like, okay, let's maximize our time. Let's dig in. What are the three bullet points you brought in? And, and it's hard because I think a lot of times, I, know, I think I know both of you and I maybe have struggled with this kind of idea of sometimes patients who don't understand the systemic pressures on providers are like, we need to advocate for like exactly what we want, which yeah. it's like, I want to be optimistic to say, yes, like I also want a pony, but I'm not going to get everything I want. So it's like, advocacy doesn't have to mean like a serial at exactly. Like they're not out to get you an off. Sometimes they're bad providers. I won't, I'm not going to deny that. But oh, also, absolutely. When it comes to rheumatology, I don't know about allergists and immunologists, but there's a severe shortage of rheumatologists. Don't have a complete, you don't have an endless amount of providers to choose from. So sometimes it's better to work on repairing that relationship to get the most of your visits versus switching to a new, that's a whole other point, but yeah, I'm really excited for your talk because I really think in the event we're having these little mini presentations followed by Q and A's and they're about these practical things. Like no one teaches you how to be a patient, how to, no. how to prepare for an appointment. Oh, I didn't know they don't that, teach that in medical school either, by the way. <laughs> oh boy. That's yeah. That's sad. I didn't know appointments had end times. I'm not kidding you. When I first started, I'm like, there wasn't yeah. like a big deal about your start time. Your appointment starts at 11. 
okay, I don't know. No one told me if it's 20 yeah. minutes or 30 minutes or 40 minutes or two minutes. So I'm sitting here, blah, blah, blah. And the patient doctor's okay. We got to wrap up. Wait a minute. If I had known when the end time was, I might've been more strategic. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting. That's one of the things. So I'm trying to tackle this issue from both sides of the coin. So I gave a talk to a group of physicians not that long ago. And I was like, one of the things I learned from the medical students I work with is they are now being taught when they go in, especially students to see patients like, Hey, we have 15 minutes together. I want to make the most out of this time. What is your most pressing issue or question for today? They set the stage, right? So that people have that expectation. I think so much of some of that adversarialness in part comes out of a mismatch in kind of those expectations and understanding of the bandwidth. So if I can be upfront with people about when to expect a response about their lab results, or will that need a visit or can that be handled through the portal so that there's some of that one other, one other little soapboxy thing is the latest statistics show that 62% of physicians have at least one symptom of burnout. My guess is for other healthcare professionals, nurses in particular, they're at the bedside more than the physician many times. So it wouldn't surprise me if those numbers were the same or higher. We're seeing a lot of folks leave clinical medicine across the board. I think there does need to be some recognition that in a realignment, the physicians are human. We have human problems. And we behave like humans at times too. Although we we swear an oath to do no harm, hurt people sometimes hurt people. I think if we all come at things with a little more of compassion, giving folks grace, that can kind of, and that needs to be within balance because your health is important. You need to advocate for yourself, but to have some nuance with that. Absolutely. And you mentioned the word expectations in that expectations, Mm -hmm. expectations for a visit. I think that one of the most difficult but important jobs I've learned as a patient is to understand what is realistic for me. Like what's realistic for my disease trajectory? What's realistic for how much my lifestyle factors and my stress management endeavors are going to move the needle versus my medication, you know, on my overall care. I think that's the a hundred thousand dollar question that a lot of newly diagnosed patients in particular, but even long-term like me face is what is what I should expect. I love this quote from a long time ago. Someone said to me, happiness is reality minus expectations, right? Mm -hmm. Expectations are super high. Reality doesn't match that. You're going to have a deficit of happiness. But the problem is when you get diagnosed with a disease that's intrinsically a disease that's characterized by fluctuations, exacerbations and remissions, you don't know whether your first six years is going to be like mine, where you go into complete remission And you only have to think about a couple of things like insurance bears and medication and maybe planning for your future, or you don't know whether you're going to be somebody who after nine months has already blown through three biologics and still progressing. What I've worked on a lot in therapy, and this is going to sound like a long-winded way to get to this point, but is acceptance that the uncertainty is not a solvable problem. Uncertainty about how my disease is going to progress. How is this going to affect me in the future? I have an eight-year-old. Is it going to be different when he's 10 or 12? I have all these anxieties about the future, as my therapist pointed out. If I approach those with the expectation that, okay, I'll just solve these problems. I'll just find the solution, right? I'll find the diet. I'll find the exercise. I'll find the support program. And then I will have an expectation that 
I will quote unquote, get my disease under control and arthritis will no longer be a problem for me. That is very unrealistic for most people. I think it's a more healthy approach to say like, okay, all I know for sure from a mindfulness standpoint is that this present moment is what I have. The future could be a thousand billion different things, right? Mm -hmm. I could get hit by a car tomorrow and all these worries I have about my rheumatoid arthritis are going to be secondary to a car accident, acute recovery. I joke that my tagline for arthritis life is come for the life hacks, stay for the social support or emotional support, because I think that's the hardest part. You can peel down the layers of do this life hack, do this. I figured out my dietary triggers. Okay. I have an exercise plan. These things help. But at the end of the day, that uncertainty is going to be there. You're going to reach a ceiling or do you agree? I'm open for debate. Absolutely. It's instinctual. We think back to like when we were first human beings back around the cave campfire, uncertainty were those things that killed us. Was the lion going to come attack our tribe that night? It was that tribe of people, that group of a couple dozen people living together in a space that kept you safe, that Mm -hmm. kept you fed. It was that love and connection that ancestrally really made a huge difference. There was just an article this week in New England Journal talking about the impact of social isolation and loneliness, how it has impacts across our body but importantly on our immune system health too. Yeah. I think it was Glennon Doyle Melton who said this, it's not hard because you're doing it wrong. It's hard because it's hard. That's why I think the social support, whether it's on social media or through connections you make on Instagram or TikTok, or whether it's through like more formal programs, it's so crucial. When I meet people, the biggest sigh of relief that they have is, oh, Cheryl struggles with uncertainty too, even though she has like a master's in occupational therapy and like arthritis literally is my life. I have a company called Arthritis Life. I read articles about it. I do a podcast about it. I still have to confront uncertainty and lack of clarity. I remember I really worked through this with my therapist and who takes an approach called acceptance and commitment therapy, which anyone can learn about, by the way, and anyone can do. It's not like a proprietary thing. You know how certain techniques, like you should only a psychologist yeah. have them do it with you. But it's really about saying, because I would tell him like, I was so stressed about doing some of the work I'm doing because I want to just give the patient other people like the answers. I want to help them uh-huh. and I need to help them by giving them the answers and helping them to control their disease. And he's like, Cheryl, what if there aren't answers? I'm like, how can you do this job? Like, how are you not depressed? Uh-huh. First, it's like, that's why I call it the acceptance paradox because it's accepting that certain things are out of your control, accepting mm-hmm. that uncertainty will be there seems so depressing at first, but the paradox is for me, it set me free, mm-hmm. alleviated the burden of trying to solve problems that are at some point unsolvable. This problem of how my disease is going to progress. I can look at studies. I can know that 90% of people who've had rheumatoid arthritis for 19 years, who've been on four different biologics, like I have plus methotrexate, 90% of them, they do great within 10 years or something. If I looked at that, I still wouldn't know, am I going to be in the 90% or the 10%? providers are taught, this is like an intrinsic problem that leads to like gaslighting everything too. They're taught to treat the mean, like the average, the average doesn't mean anything to you. If you don't present in the average way as anyone with a rare condition can tell you. Yeah. I don't read the textbook. I didn't read the textbook when I had rheumatoid arthritis that was like definitely eventually presented as bilateral, but initially was only on my right side, things Mm -hmm. like that. So I think And accepting that it's not a matter of going to every different provider until you find the certainty. It's accepting that the uncertainty is 
it's not just the nature of chronic illness. It's the nature of everything in life. Every parent knows this. You can put your baby to sleep one night, do everything right. Put the baby on their back, put them in a safe sleeping area. They could still die of SIDS. That's such a scary thought that so many of us are like, I don't even want to cope with that thought. I just need to comfort myself by reminding myself what's in my control, which short-term that is an okay strategy. Sometimes if it works for you, keep comforting yeah. yourself, but it's, you're going to reach a point where your brain is smart enough to know that there is no guarantee being able to confront that and accept it is really fascinating to me. It's been a really fascinatingly, strangely comforting thing. Cause it still seems like it wouldn't be comforting. Even as I'm talking about now, I'm like, that sounds depressing, but it's not, I don't know. I don't understand it. It's fascinating. <laughs> I will say one adjacent thing that has helped me so much too is knowing and learning that our brain has a negative bias to it. So, and it goes back to that survival mechanism again, like you were always trying to prepare for the worst because it could be a famine or a Mm -hmm. flood or whatever, but now that ends up becoming counterproductive. So just reminding yourself, Oh, that brain is just being a brain. Thanks brain for protecting protecting me, but we got this. It'll be what it will be. And that's fine. We're recording this the morning after my Ted talk disaster. So this is all just very front of mind. (laughs) Totally. I think again, there's so much noise in the autoimmune space, right? Things like, Oh, all you have to do is heal your gut. All you have to do is resolve your unresolved childhood trauma. I see these claims every day and I'm like, ultimately First of all, those things can be very helpful. I'm not saying like none of the techniques that people talk about are, are effective, but if you approach this as if all you need to do is just find quote unquote, the solution, you're going to be, you're ultimately going, unless you're lucky, because some people are lucky and they do it. They resolve their childhood trauma and then their autoimmune disease goes away or they go on a certain diet and their symptoms resolve. And that's the rest of their life. You may be in that category. They've won the lotto. Yeah, but you may awesome. yeah, just, we'll celebrate with you. Exactly. We have to learn. But. I think people get confused because they'll see, wait a minute, I have this diagnosis. This other person I found online has this diagnosis. I did what they did. Why didn't it work for me? It's because it's because you're two different people. I think again, parenting is a great analogy, right? Because when you first you have a baby, you're like, oh, how do I get them to sleep? Okay. Talk to 16 different people. They all have different techniques that it legitimately worked for that. But when it comes for healthcare, people seem to really want that. Like you said, we're biased towards being afraid of things that are threatening to us and trying to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And as my therapist said, you're really good at solving problems, but not all problems are solvable. That's the problem. So if you spend all your time trying to solve an unsolvable problem, you're wasting time that you could be using on things that you actually can solve. So like in your case, there's some things about this TED talk that are out of your control and how much does it benefit you to accept that versus, and I think it's totally valid to vent. Feel the, feel the feelings. You want, exactly. you bet. I sulked last night. I took a bubble, yeah. non-bubble bath and yeah. snuggled my kids and watched my first graders presentation that had great audio. Oh gosh. <laughs> And we laughed about it. Yeah. It is what it is sometimes, honestly. I remember I, even just a couple of weeks ago, I was saying someone in the Room to Thrive support group I'm running asked a question. I was like, honestly, I'm still confused about that in my own life. I can tell you again, I can always tell you the data says this. Exercise, I think was the thing we were talking about because I have a good routine and I have an idea of what my limit is, but sometimes I go well under my limit in terms of exercise that might induce fatigue for me. Sometimes if I push my heart rate up too much or go for too long, I will Mm -hmm. experience fatigue. Other times, most of the time I don't. 
But when I don't experience fatigue normally because I know what my limit is. There's some days where I do my normal 25 minutes at a heart rate under 120. And then it's, I feel really bad afterwards. Sometimes it's just the randomness. And yeah. I was afraid to admit that, right? Because I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be the one that has this. And I think doctors get this too. You have this oh idea gosh, that I'm yeah. supposed to have all the answers. Yeah. But then the person in the group oh. was, oh, I'm actually relieved that you don't, that you still struggle with this. It makes me yeah. feel like since I'm only one year into this and I'm struggling with it and you're struggling with it 19 years, it makes me actually feel better to know that this is just something I'm going to have to deal with versus, oh, I missed the manual. Like everyone else has it all figured out and I don't. I think we all have that almost like imposter syndrome. Yeah, like autoimmune imposter syndrome. Totally. Whenever I see people who are like, oh, I'm doing yoga and like everything's wonderful. I'm always like, oh man, maybe I should be doing yoga. We all have that, right? Yes. We need to chat because yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need to have that be a session at the autoimmune warrior conference this spring. Oh yeah. That would be amazing. I didn't even relate it to imposter syndrome until literally right now, but it totally yeah. is. If we could get a few of us together and just talk about that. We're still all figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I just breathed a sigh of relief thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about how people can get signed up for your event and connect with you because this event is like, I've seen the lineup. It's incredible. I'm really excited. It's called the arthritis life hack extravaganza. At this point, it is an annual event that's happening in February each year. Yeah. So it's actually coming up February 4th and 5th, but it is going to be a live online event, but if you can't make it live, it's free to attend live, but there also is like a recordings only ticket. If you can't attend live, that's $10 USD. I always give discounts. If people ask, you can just email me at info, like I-N-F-O at myarthritislife.net. I have discount codes I can give you. And then there's a VIP ticket that includes the recordings plus a digital goodie bag full of like over a hundred dollars potential worth of discounts on arthritis products and services, like including coaching and my room to thrive program and tons of other discounts. The program is we have 18 speakers. I'm thinking we, it's like literally me. I'm learning how to delegate though. I'm learning how to get help. I have one administrative person who's helping me part-time, but anyway, half the speakers also have an autoimmune disease like you. And also over half of them work in healthcare. There's from a few doctors to patient advocates as well and occupational therapists. We're covering topics, life hacks 101, fatigue strategies, building your flare-up toolkit, how to explore nutrition without becoming stressed and confused. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's Which huge. Is, yeah. And I'm talking about acceptance. So we have a couple of special topics like tips for pregnancy and parenting with arthritis and tips for grieving the old you after your diagnosis. Reason I use the word extravaganza in there is that often like healthcare information is presented in my opinion, in a dry and boring way. I also think like part of like my mission to live life with the fullest with my condition is that to me, that's my personality is I want to have fun. I want to celebrate yes. these life hacks and adaptations, whether it's like a compression glove or like an adaptive tool, I don't want to feel depressed about it and, or ashamed about it. We're going to address that because people's barriers to using things that would help improve their quality of life, like an external aid that would be a mm -hmm. physical manifestation of their invisible condition, like a walker or a wrist brace. Sometimes people don't wear them because they don't want to look different or be judged. 
and people will judge you, but you deserve to do the things that make your life easier. So if they can want to sign up, you can go to bit.ly slash arthritis life 23. And that's just all lowercase or just on Eventbrite, look up um, arthritis life hack extravaganza. You can follow me on Instagram, arthritis underscore life underscore Cheryl, or again, email me. I can send you more information about my Room to Thrive program too. There's an online course and then there's a 12-week support group that I run. It's sequential. So it's like a cohort based. You stay with the same group. I run that a few times a year. So I think that's covers. Oh, my website is just myarthritislife.net. So you can always find the latest there as well. And the podcast is there too. <laughs> it is. A great listen and so fun. And you connect with so many amazing people within the community, which is really Thank fun. You too. Here and learn. And I, I was thinking about changing like the intro to the podcast because I think it's really just a matter of like a podcast where we talk to interesting people about their arthritis life story. Right. So it's literally what we talk about everything. Talk about whether it's Sjogren, it's really not just arthritis, it's really inflammatory conditions and try to figure out, we share, I share tools and tips, but also figure out like, how do we do life with this thing? How do we still um, have a vibrant, meaningful existence and with our condition? Cause what's the alternative, right? <laughs> it's not going away unless there's a cure. So we have yeah. to learn to live with it. So yeah, there's that acceptance again, but and we can hope that CAR T works out. That's yeah. There's always the next thing. I do want to try vagus nerve stimulation just because it's interesting yeah. to have a history of gastroparesis as well. So vagus nerve stimulation works for both gastroparesis and rheumatoid arthritis. So I'm really intrigued by that, but there's um, some yeah. looking at that for Sjogren's, I think in dysautonomia too. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Thank right. you so well, much. Thank you, Cheryl. I appreciate it. And I look forward to the event. I can't wait to tune in and, and I love the Q and A's. Those are always the most fun. Yeah. yeah. All the presentations, like they're divided into the two sections. There's a pre-recorded 20 minute presentation from each speaker, which I like because that means if something happens last minute, as you're having three small kids or someone gets sick. And my husband's or, working that weekend. So it worked boy. out great. <laughs> But then there's going to be a live 20 minute Q and a that does always allow for a lot of like back and forth with the audience. And this year we'll be enabled so everyone can see each other's chats and we can, and also see each other's faces too. Last year, we kept it more like a webinar style where we want control over because we were nervous about people like unmuting themselves and stuff, but I figured out the zoom controls. So anyway, I'm really excited oh. and I'm honored that about all the speakers attending. I'm excited about your Sjogren summit as well on the autoimmune warrior um, so we are hard at work planning. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. Yay. Thank you again, Cheryl. And see you soon. Thank you. Bye. If you like what you're hearing so far and you think others would benefit from hearing it too, it would be amazing if you would take a few minutes to rate and review the Crunchy Allergist podcast. Ratings and reviews are the best way to make podcasts discoverable. I would love it if you'd give me your honest opinion, and of course, a five-star review would be great. If you click the subscribe button, you will automatically receive weekly episodes without needing to do anything else. And if you feel called to share with your friends or family, I would be so grateful. If you'd like to learn more about how we can work together, head over to drkarawada.com.